like a word. About new Northern Ireland crime fiction, you're listening to part three of this episode of We'd Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And David Torrens from No Alibis Bookshop on Botanic Avenue in Belfast and the No Alibis Press has just joined us. And as Steve and regular listeners will know, No Alibis is my favourite bookshop. It is wonderful. No. Hello, David. No. <laughs> Hello, Paul. How are you? <laughs> We've achieved the miraculous. We've got him to smile. He's, you've been having a very busy week. <laughs> You're being too kind. You're being way, way, way too kind. Because uh, to be honest with you, it, it's been it's it's just been a funny week, a challenging one. But it's it's all good. It's all good. But busy is good. I mean, bookshops are having a bit of a rough time of it at the moment. Busy is yeah, really good. Busy is good. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. It's it's fine. It's I think it's like with everybody, even though we've had. I suppose a year to get used to this it's still we all get into the way of doing things that we're enjoying and we're happy with and 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 we're comfortable with and um one of the most enjoyable things about what we do is actually being able to talk to human beings (laughs) when they come into the shop for 23 years we have steadfastly refused to not refused but been very hesitant about doing the online thing because we've been very fortunate. We have so many loyal, friendly, engaging customers who want to just come into the shop. I pay enough rent and rich to be in this place. I'm not going to waste my time sitting in front of a computer all day entering data. I want to talk to people. And I think for all of us, all of the staff, it's been, it's been tricky. We're, we're doing it and we're keeping the business going and we will be fine. But it's just, you know, we're, we're human beings. We like to interact. I mean, I'm hearing a lot from from people I know who work in the book trade, though, that, that a kind of hybrid model has evolved where, you know, yes. jobs that traditionally didn't have much of an online presence mm-hmm. have now got much more of an online presence. Plus, of course, bookshop.uk has come along as well, which is which is linking up a lot of sales within bookshops. And I think, if anything, it might actually be a good thing because once the shops are open again, people will carry on going into bookshops because people love bookshops. But you've got that yeah. other element now as well. Yeah, well, we found we definitely found that out after the first lockdown. We sort of set a, a website up, which was it was okay. It was a little bit haphazard at start because we were doing it with without much too much expertise. But after the first lockdown, things started to normalize to a degree. We actually made the jump and invested in a, a proper commercial retail e-commerce website that has helped us immensely, especially the second, well, third major lockdown really it's the way forward it's, it's always going to be there but unlike other online retailers whose name i never use on pain of death to myself we tend to focus like other small bookshops and other small businesses we, we will focus on particular things and that's just that's the model that we have to do well the other thing is of course people want ease of purchase these days i mean even, even when do. we weren't locked in our houses and if you can put up something that's as easy to use as the other evil empire is then yes. you know you, you stand a chance you stand a chance you do it, it it's very quickly we learned that that people wanted to support us and remained loyal to us and, and wanted to to, to 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 make sure that we were still there at the end of all of this we've noticed that it, it hasn't been a case of people moving to one or the other it's now a case of people using both and we have been able to 
I, I don't want to use the word train, but able to accommodate them, knowing that what we did in the past for all those years with people coming into the shop, we can do for them as easily online. It's great. Steve yeah. mentioned bookshop.org. Yes. You, is that a, a good thing, a bad thing, or a neutral thing, do you think? There was a very interesting uh, article in the New Statesman recently about it. We, we are not part of it. We would rather utilize all those years of experience of, 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 and all those years of being there to focus on our own website and to focus on what we do directly. The New Statesman article very succinctly covers elements of the, the cost and I'm not going to do all those boring financial things. It probably would benefit bookshops that maybe have a, 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 a mix of, of material that they sell, be it a, a selection of books, a selection of games, a selection of, 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 of other things stationary, and it then allows them to very much broaden their arena. But for us, we, we, we felt that we would be probably losing out too much by going with them. We're just a little bit wary of the actual return and where the marketing within that website is focused. Is it focused primarily on each individual bookshop or is it more as a, an alternative to the, the dreaded large yeah. river? I, I have heard that a number of niche or specialist bookshops have, have sort of strayed away from it because they want to stay yeah. focused on their one area and yes. still be regarded as the place to go. Yes, yes, that is so much. That's the case for us, but not and not just strictly within that niche area of, of mystery detective fiction, but as much in the in the the idea that we are a community bookshop, and if we can help our customers by either making home deliveries to them or supplying books to them efficiently and quickly, we're not allowed to do click and collect at the moment. That's not allowed in this part of the world. We know that those people will still come back to us, and 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 I think it's a case of. The focus with bookshop.org, whilst it seems a good idea, I think in the long term, there's for us, there's maybe just a, a degree of uncertainty about whether we will actually benefit from it or not. So we'd rather just keep doing what we do. You've been doing a lot of deliveries. I know maybe during the first of the Northern Ireland lockdowns, you were delivering a lot of books to children, I think. We've been contacted just before lockdown happened by the Social Sciences Department within Queen's University who have links with the adoption service and fostering service. And they'd asked us to supply a lot of books because they, they anticipated children, vulnerable children who were not going to be able to attend school or uh, attend um, resources and, and, and things that they would normally be able to, needing material to read. So they asked us if we could supply it. And just as we were getting the stock in, lockdown occurred. So it was a case of trying to frantically get books out as quickly and as safely as possible to the various places that they needed to go to. And we donated some books that we had as well. So it was great. We were very keen to point out, I think, like so many things that come out on the media, uh, uh, there was a slight inconsistency as to what they thought we had done. And someone had posted that they thought that we donated a thousand books. Uh, <laughs> I was very quick to point out that Whilst we donated some books, if we donated a thousand books, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> but I just wanted to clarify that whilst we were, were doing what we needed to do and we were happy to do it and we, you know, we pushed the, the boat out a little bit, we weren't that gracious. <laughs> we couldn't be. Normally, your opening hours, 
nine to six, something like that. But you're there a lot later because I guess now it isn't people coming in and picking up the book, walking out after paying for it, obviously. But like packaging, posting, that must all add a lot of hassle. Well, it's a balance because we, we, we still have staff on parcel furlough. We have four staff who work with us, with Claudia and I, on a part-time basis. And they've all got their own bubbles and they've all got their own groups and they've all got their own people that they need to be safe with. So if they are going to come in, we need to be very careful about how they come in and and, and, and to ensure that they're safe and, and looked after. So it just automatically means that every small business, no matter what they do, are in the same position. If they're able to trade and operate, it falls generally on, on the owners to do that little extra bit. So... The only thing that I can say that we're having to deal with at the moment is just being quite tired because we're trying to do everything that four to six people would be doing. <laughs> but we've got great staff. And, and the important thing about all of this is that when, when things do normalize, we want to be sure we're all coming back and we all will be coming back barring disasters. We've been there for too long to let things fall apart. I know the importance of having staff who are motivated and keen and love what they do and uh, are more intelligent than the owner. <laughs> Always employ people who are more intelligent than yourself. Very smart move. Has it put the kibosh on, on the imprint? I mean, if you had to sort of suspend producing new books? No, in fact, we have a new book coming out in June, but it is definitely, this is another element to the business that we were discussing. My colleague, um, Emma Warnock, um, who's our, our commissioning editor, we almost got quite emotional about it. Nothing was better than meeting two to three times a week in the local cafe, sitting down and talking about the new books that we had, or the new manuscripts that we'd received, or just planning and, and, and bouncing ideas off each other and things like that, you know, sitting down, making notes and designs and ideas and, and how we're going to progress with things. Whilst Zoom is great and th- this ability to, to speak and meet new people and to talk about things is, is, is wonderful. Or to appear as a cat. Did you see that? Yeah, well, was... actually, our cat is in here at the moment. So if you're not careful, he may interrupt this conversation. Oh, that's right. Um, I've, got a sleeping, I've got a sleeping pug on the floor next to me. Oh, he yeah. might hear snoring oh. occasionally. <laughs> you said you'd won with No Alibis Press coming out in June. What is it? Or are you allowed to say? It's by Joanna Walsh and it's a book called Seed. I suppose the best way to describe it could be it is a Queer, non-coming out, experimental, poetic narrative form that is formed in different sections of a young girl living in a a sort of a semi-rural part of England during the 1980s. So during the mad cow disease, imminent nuclear threat and worry, and all of the trials and tribulations of finding your own voice in a very difficult and challenging environment. As you can see, not a crime novel. (laughs) Well, <laughs> yeah, I knew that would I knew that would leave him speechless. <laughs> That's the mark of a, a brave and innovative publisher. Absolutely, and also it shows that it is separate from the bookshop, which is crime and mystery. Well, primarily, I mean, when we first started, as you know, when we first started, the shop was a fraction of its size, and of that small, very intimate space, I would have said seventy percent of it was devoted to crime fiction and 30 percent was devoted to everything else we've grown we don't just do crime fiction though that part of the shop is still very crucial and when we set up press we i suppose we were very careful that we didn't want to 
just be seen as a press that dealt with fiction, that dealt with crime or that looked at that genre. Having said that, the first book that we ever published was Jared Brennan's Disorder. And how that came about was we bind and print PhD theses. And um, Jared was doing his PhD in creative writing and he dropped the thesis into us for it to be bound into its, 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 its PhD format. And I asked him if we could, if I could read it because I'd read his other work and I wanted to read it. And he said, of course, of course. And this was in 2017. So it was just coming up to our 20th anniversary. And I was halfway through the first chapter and I rang him and I said, Jared, how would you like to be the first book that No Alibis Press publish? <laughs> and I have a copy in my hand. Good this stuff. Is Very handsome disorder by Jared Brennan. And, and No Alibis Press. And that was it. And that's that's what that's how it started. But even saying that you I'm sure you would agree that whilst it's a novel of Belfast, it is a novel of crime. It's not strictly a crime novel because it's way it's way too intelligent, well, way more intelligent and nuanced and varied in it, it, its depiction of the city and what, what, what elements of crime run through the various characters' lives. It, 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 it was brilliant. It's a, it's a dark comic, crime-filled satire, you know, and, and I just loved it. And of course, I think it's the best thing he's ever written. <laughs> no bias no bias that's what you know none, none what, here listen if a publisher no can't be, no bias. <laughs> if, a, if a publisher can't be biased about their own authors what's the point in publishing them absolutely absolutely we're, we're enjoying what we're doing so your bookshop no alibis and you i suppose i don't know if you're unique but certainly unusual and then people are waiting to hear <laughs> no, like, no, what, what, what is he going to say next but i'm thinking particularly that you and the bookshop have been featured in one, certainly one, maybe two novels. You've been immortalized in fiction by Banger, like a- <laughs> writer Colin Bateman and a book called Mystery Man. And the, I forget the title of the other one. So that's you as a fictional no, it's not. character. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, I, 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 I'm showing great self-control here. It is, it is, when I'm going to qualify this. And apparently it's not even fiction. It's just completely based on fact on your life. Yeah, you see that? Oh, oh, God, don't start me. No, no, you know, Colin's (laughs) Colin's a great writer. Colin's a fantastic writer. Colin is is, is an excellent purveyor. Though not so much now, I think he's doing more drama work and more screenplays, but he's an excellent purveyor of 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 the comic crime character. But the Mystery Man series... It utilizes the shop, it utilizes the name, and it creates a character who would work within that environment, who is most definitely not me. You know, the the, the temptation to, to use profanity here is so strong, but I shall refrain from it. <laughs> um, um, uh, but it is definitely not me. And when you've you've had an, a number of customers come into the shop over the years, not so much now asking about little intimate details about this so-called bookshop owner's uh, lifestyle and where he keeps things hidden. It, it, it becomes a touch trying. But what is really, 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 really funny is that in that series, one of the guys who works in the shop is, 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 is a, a part-time worker, is a student who is a poet. And we actually have 
he's no longer a student, but he is a, a, a very highly regarded, very well-respected young, 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 pu young publisher of poetry. He works in the shop. So in some ways, you know, who knows what is what 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 serendipitous connection has developed into that? Maybe it got into my mind, and and I, and I thought I have to employ a student who is a poet. <laughs> the the business about the person not being you is exactly the opposite of what Simon was saying in an earlier part of this program. He was saying he yeah. quite often gets people coming up to him and saying, "That person in the book, that's me, isn't it?" Yeah. <laughs> even, even though it isn't, you're the other you're the other way. It's that not yeah. me, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. And and the general public, God bless them. Some of them can be quite eccentric, <laughs> and some of them have actually come into the shop really genuinely thinking that I am that character, and asked how my rather strange mother is getting on and things like that. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the crime fiction scene and especially Northern Ireland crime fiction. So Simon mm -hmm. and James as well were saying that what they had experienced or been told was that a window had opened. It was so Northern Ireland crime fiction, next big thing after Scandi Noir and there's the Noirland International Crime mm -hmm. Festival in Belfast and all sorts of wonderful things. Adrian McKinty has talked in the past about how uh, he'd been told no one was interested in crime fiction or fiction maybe set in Northern Ireland but then that had changed and some great writers doing great things and fantastic but then Simon and James were saying oh that window it's closing or maybe closed which I was thinking this is terrible news as somebody who's a book set in Northern Ireland but do you think they're right about that or how, how do you see that? I think given that we are living in such challenging and difficult circumstances across the board I think it's hard not to look at the current publishing world and the current publishing situation and think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You know, what are we going to do? I don't think it is strictly, specifically in relation to just Irish crime fiction or Northern Irish crime fiction or anything specifically that's good with a, a cultural or a geographic location. I think it's universal. And I dare say, if you were having this conversation with writers from Scandinavia or writers from, from other parts of the world, they would be saying it's a similar thing because the, the decisions that are made by publishers as to whether or not to publish books, who to publish, how to publish, why to publish, it's quite often beyond any sort of geographical or, or cultural remit. It's a case of, and, it's, it's, it, and I think it's even more so now, it's a case of what they think will sell. For example, you'd look at, at, at Brian McGilloway's last book, The Last Crossing. That was an amazing book, an, an amazing book that dealt with this part of the world in such a beautifully crafted, literary, but thrilling way. And it's great to see that he has been taken on by, uh, and his backlist has been taken on by a major publisher, who are going to, in difficult times, reprint all of his work. Yeah, I'd highly recommend Brian McGilloway's books to anyone who hasn't. Yeah. I'm not belittling James or Simon's worries, because I think they're justified. But I think the worries that are justified, whether you're a, a crime fiction writer or a minority writer, LGBTQ writer, it's everything. Is there anything that you've, I suppose, anything apart from Brian McGilloway, that you've, anything you've read recently that really stands out for you? Uh, the Norwegian writer, Vigdis Hodjars' Will and Testament, which isn't strictly a crime novel, 
but there is an element of a crime that has happened or something that is that is that's very bad that has happened. And it's one of those fantastic novels of introspection and family dynamic and drama narrated from the point of, uh, of, of an older sibling. In a way, it's a psychological psychodrama about family relationships and a trauma that has occurred. And it is so innocuous in its depiction of, 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 of I don't want to give anything away, obviously, of, of what has happened or what has possibly happened, that you just find yourself being drawn into the mind of the narrator. And then by default, by those around her, the other family members who are either denying it or ignoring it or trying to confront it in their own way. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful, powerful novel. An older book that I've read recently was Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven, which quite poignantly deals with a global pandemic <laughs> and a group of Shakespearean actors or players, I should say. So it's set pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, maybe 20 years further on down the line. It's like a mixture between Cormac McCarthy's The Road and Albert Camus' The Plague and, and uh, The Tempest by William Shakespeare. <laughs> Sorry, King Lear, King Lear. You may find yourself being swamped once you do open your doors again to submissions because the uh, with lockdown, as we were saying to the other two guys, mm-hmm. with lockdown, they reckon over a million new novels have been written, most of which obviously aren't going to be great. But but the point is that publishers are saying that those that still have their books open at the moment, they said they've never had so many unagented novels sent to them as they yeah. have during 2020, the beginning of 2021. So when you do open yeah. it, you may find the floodgates are open. <laughs> As I've often said to people who, who have asked about the press and things like that, at, at the moment, all of our energies and focus have been on just trying to keep the shop going. Though having said that, having said that, we are so excited about Seed. We're expecting our proof copies to arrive in today. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And uh, we're just getting ready for the final things to send it off to um, to the printer um, for publication in June. That is very exciting news. It is. And a good note in which to end this episode of Weed Like a Word on new Northern Ireland crime fiction and other things with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. David Torrens of No Alibis, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me. And Simon Maltman and James Murphy as well. Thanks to you guys. And we'll speak to you next time. You will. Bye. Bye. Until the next time, you've been listening to We'd Like a Word. Thank you.